0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. In the early 1920s, a man came to the United States onto the scenes with a boldness that hadn't been seen in a while, and he was preaching Pan-Africanism. He was saying, Black Americans, come home, come on home, come back to Africa. This was a man who hailed from Jamaica, but understood the power of the continent of Africa. And if all black people throughout the diaspora saw one another as brothers and sisters, what a powerful, powerful unit we would be. His name was Marcus Garvey. And when he arrived into the United States, he ran into a buzzsaw named W.E.B. Du Bois. W.E.B. Du Bois had been, of course, one of the Stalworth, most amazing, brilliant minds, academic and otherwise, one of the largest fighters for justice in American history, PhD, first African American to get one from Harvard. That was after he had already gotten one elsewhere at an HBCU Fisk, and they butt heads. Now, I don't know why they butted heads, because I wasn't around in the 1920s, but it said that you know, Garvey's way encroached upon the vision that Du Bois had for black America. And, you know, he was all about the Talented Tenth and that the Talented Tenth would rise up the rest of us and uh, he was about being accepted and integration and proving to the white man that not only are we their equal but that they need us and all these other things that are also true, also true. I wonder... If Du Bois spent less time putting banana peels down for Marcus Garvey and actually worked with him, I wonder what, where we would be right now. I wonder what would happen if they worked towards the common good using their individual unique talents for the betterment of Black people and thus the betterment of the world. Some even say that Du Bois and the NAACP, which was one of the organizations that he founded, as well as the Crisis newspaper and others, um, might have been instrumental in what eventually led to Marcus Garvey being arrested, imprisoned, and deported. But guess what happened over the next 30 years? So Marcus Garvey is back in Jamaica and he eventually dies. And Du Bois discovered that Marcus Garvey and his mission and his vision might not have been so bad after all. As a matter of fact, he had become increasingly disillusioned with this thing called democracy, and capitalism, and he felt that this system in America could never serve as black people, or see black people as equal. And he ran towards communism, and he was looking globally, and as he traveled all over the world, he was changing his viewpoint and changing his strategy. While visiting Ghana in 1957 to celebrate its independence, Du Bois and Kwame Nkrumah became great buddies. And if you don't know who Kwame Nkrumah is, maybe I'll do a podcast on him one day because he's amazing and one of the most brilliant minds the world has ever seen, rest his soul. They they got together. And he came back in the 1960, in 1960 to be exact, where he spoke with Nkrumah about the creation of a new encyclopedia, because you know Du Bois was an academic, uh, of the African diaspora called the Encyclopedia Africana. Now, if you have not read The Negro by Du Bois, it is one of the quintessential pieces, along with Carter G. Woodson um, and, and others, uh, Tom Burrell being the most recent, which kind of gives a breakdown as one of the best history pieces of black people I've ever read. And it was written way before anybody listening to my voice was born. But check out that. But he wanted to do an encyclopedia africana. In 1961, Ghana notified Du Bois that they had appropriated the funds to support this encyclopedia project and that they invited him then to come back to Ghana and manage the project. In October of 1961, at the age of 93, Du Bois and his wife traveled to Ghana to live there and to work there. And in 1963, the United States refused to renew his passport, so he became a Ghanaian citizen. And while some people say that Du Bois renounced his citizenship, he didn't, but he never intended to live anywhere but Africa after that. And his health declined, and he died August 27, 1963, in Accra at the age of 95. The following day was the March on Washington, where Roy Wilkins asked hundreds of thousands of marchers to march on Washington. It was where Dr. Martin Luther King delivered the I Have a Dream speech, right? Uh, They had a moment of silence at that rally, one of the largest, most powerful rallies in the history of America, March on Washington, in honor of Du Bois. He was given a state funeral at Nkrumah's request and buried beside the western wall of the Christian Borg Castle, now known as the Asu Castle, then was the seat of government in Accra in 1985, another state ceremony honored Du Bois. The point I'm making is, Du Bois's body is in Africa. <laughs> he was buried in Africa in the later years in his 90s. Now, I'm going to just pause for a second because most people will never make it to 90. But in his 90s, Du Bois had epiphanies. He had a change of heart. He expanded and, and brought in his mind. And this is the thing that I want to say, you know, two things can be true. Unfortunately, most of us aren't nimble-minded enough to explore two things. In the beginning, in the 20s, 1920s, when du-, du Bois was a much younger man, he had a very distinct way of thinking about the world and how he could see because he was brilliant. Again, you don't get to get a PhD as a black man after already getting degrees from Harvard to prove that you're just as good as white people unless you're some kind of brilliant. And he was. So was Carter G. Woodson, who actually had a different perspective. And I will never sit here and say either man was wrong. I am so excited to welcome Bombas to my podcast. Bombas Socks, the best socks in the history of feet. They even have Yara Shahidi doing a Unite sock. You can go check that out. Did you know that socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters? Well, Bombas Socks were created to change that. For every pair you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Bombas Socks are soft, not just pretty soft, more like made with the softest cotton in the world soft. And they're all built with extra cushioning. So no matter whether you're walking a dog, chilling at home, saving the world, you'll be comfortable. Bomba socks provide support in places you didn't even know you needed it, like the arches. Even every sock is built with a special arch support system that is so supportive, but not too tight, like a nice hug, but on your foot. And you ever notice that annoying toe seam most socks have? That little ridge on the top, Bombas got rid of that. And from now on, it's just smooth sailing all the way across the top of your foot. You do a lot of different things, so Bombas made a lot of different socks, like dress socks for work, performance socks for working out, and even a limited edition holiday socks. That's the merino wool socks. Merino is like regular wool but magic. They're soft, warm, and naturally moisture-wicking, never itchy or rough. And you know that person who's just a gift enigma completely impossible to shop for. Bombas is the gift that every person will love and everybody will love it. So go to bombas.com slash Karen. I call these bomb ass socks. B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Karen. K-A-R-E-N. Garvey wasn't wrong. Malcolm X wasn't wrong. Martin wasn't wrong. At the end of the day, there may be several roads leading to the same place. And there may be seven seven different tactics to tackle one problem. And if that's your, your particular gift or talent, use your particular gift and talent. But don't decry or diminish anybody else's gift or talent if we're all going to the same place. So I just want to use this time today, I'm going to talk about the ADOS. And that movement, and what I see is a very disturbing trend of canceling people who aren't walking in lockstep with every, ch- every chapter and verse of what that movement stands for. We don't have the luxury to do that as black people in the world. Out of 200 plus podcasts that I've done, more than a quarter of them have been about slavery and its impact on black Americans, and how we can navigate history and what we've learned throughout those 400 years of bondage to, to rise to the power that we deserve to be in, in our own self, not over anyone else. I've talked ad nauseum about Ta-Nehisi Coates even before he was a household name in his case for reparations. I will leave a link to that quintessential, seminal piece on reparations right here in the description. So go to the description and click on the link, the case for reparations. Brilliant. It's irrefutable, in my opinion. It lays out the case. So let me just be clear. As a woman, six generations here, my first ancestors on both sides arrived in the bottom of the hold of ships. My mother's family, Georgia, which might have been one of the most brutal slave states in this union, In my dad's family, Florida, and then South Carolina. My dad had uh, done a a whole family tree that took us back six generations to the very first person that he could take us back to, to a man that happened to be uh, an enslaved person who was also the plantation preacher. Hmm, maybe that's in my blood, I don't know. Anyway, I say all of this to say I am a descendant of enslaved people, because I don't call them slaves, because slaves, that, that's not, they were human beings that were snatched from their, from their motherland and brought here. Most of them were artisans and, and, and tradesmen and, uh, and women, and of course they could build things, and of course they could plant some ish, and they were brilliant and good and, and had a future until it was snatched from them, and I, and I take that very seriously, my lineage. I've also talked and written about when I was at the New York Daily News about affirmative action and how it is handled completely wrong. It was not intended to be for white women, period. Or any other person coming here who's not a black American. That deal with affirmative action that was struck was specifically for black American descendants of enslaved people, period, full stop. I'm happy to welcome Ritual to this is Karen Hunter. It is amazing to have a partner that is so innovative. You know, I'm all about people being healthy, wealthy and wise, but you can never really eat enough kale salads and drink green smoothies to get all of the nutrients that you need. So Ritual is obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. No shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm than good. Two easy-to-take tablets provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. And it's really fun, too. So check it out. From D3 to omega-3, rituals essential for women helps fill gaps in our diet. There are no-nausea capsule. Design is gentle on the stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s, but they have a lot of products, and all of the products are vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, allergen-free ingredients, and the sources are out there for the whole world to see. I mean, literally, you can see what's in the pill. You can see it. It's little. You can see everything that's in it. so check it out. Subscriptions are easy to start. They deliver every month, no strings attached, and with your first three months, you get 10% off. When you go to Ritual.com slash Hunter, Ritual.com slash Hunter, 10% off your first three months. Now, that's what I believe. I believe black people are owed, black American descendants of enslaved people are owed reparations. The method in which I carry forth every single day is yes, that to me is common sense, it's a no-brainer. When it happens, how it happens, that it happens, yes. That's not my particular fight, I'm not gonna be a crusader, I'm not gonna be out there in the streets, but I'm here. And I have talked about it, and I will continue to talk about it. Now, while that susses out, I also believe that two things can be true. I'm not waiting for this government to give me anything. I'm not waiting for people who have never done the right thing to do the right thing. What I'm going to do is get up off my rusty dusty and get out there and make them by being excellent and by building things. I'm not asking for a seat at your table. I'm building my own house with many seats. I'm not asking for your crumbs. I'm a baker. I will bake my own cake. I have my ingredients. Thank you very much. And if more people, while you, if you wanna fight for reparations, please do so. But don't downgrade or denigrate or wag your finger or cuss people out and call them names if they're not doing it the way you want them to do it. That's stupid and wrong on so many levels and it shows a level of immaturity that you don't expect from people who are leaders. Now, I'm gonna say something, all right? One of my greatest inspirations is uh, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She wrote a thing called the ISIS Papers, and it was a thing. It was a thing, 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 thing that came poured out. This was a woman who was a psychiatrist, a medical doctor who was of three generations of medical doctors in these United States of America. That had to be some kind of powerful DNA. She coined a phrase, the global majority. And in her book, The ISIS Papers, the first time I ever laid eyes on that phrase, the global majority, but it resonated in my spirit, she posited what would happen if black people all throughout the diaspora saw themselves not as minorities, not as less than, not as these people that are set aside, but as majority, because that's what we are, the global majority. And what does that mean when we walk into that? How do we carry ourselves? How does the world treat us? And so, again, while you descendants of, Af- of African enslaved people here in America fight for reparations, and you should, we should, at the exact same time to deny anyone else throughout the diaspora anything, to, to call them anything other than brother, is to undermine the very power that we all seek to have for ourselves, not over anyone for ourselves, all right? So I need us to do better. And as I look at the disrespect, the colonization, the genocide, the pillaging of our lands and our peoples, we don't have the luxury to parse out who gets to come and who gets to stay. Two things can be true. We can fight for reparations here in America at the exact same time come together globally. And I'm going to bring you back to W.E.B. Du Bois and Marcus Garvey. Had they done that in the 20s and 30s, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about this now. And, and, And again, it took, W.B. Du Bois had a long time to come around, but at 90, he saw the light and is buried right now in Ghana. Muammar Gaddafi understood that organizing African nations was a power play. He had billions of dollars, oil rich country in Libya, and might. And he had the ears of a lot of African nations, and they were coming together. And he decided to talk about, hmm, a world, one African currency. And as they traded and bought oil to not use the American dollar, because they don't have to, because as a nation full of everything everybody wants, from oil to gold to diamonds to lobsters to you name it, all kinds of rubies and lumber and everything. Why do we need to use this flimsy paper? That that was what Gaddafi said. Gaddafi's not here anymore. And I'm gonna say this to say, the world knows that that's a power play. The world knows what would happen if 54 African nations got together and the rest of the diaspora because there's no world without black people. There's no power without black people in her resources, right? So as I watch social media and other media draw lines in the sand around who gets to come and who doesn't, who's black, who's not black, who's really black, we're going to cancel people and not go to movies because the person starring in it, it is not American black and this and this and that. <sighs> They're watching and they're laughing because they know what Sun Tzu knew, that the best tactic in war is to divide and conquer. And what they're laughing at is that they don't have to lift a finger to do it because we've been conditioned for 400 years to do the work for them. Can we stop doing that? Can we stop? I'm gonna talk about um, Harriet probably in the next podcast, the movie, because I haven't seen it yet, so I don't feel comfortable talking about something I haven't seen, because um, only tiny people with very small intellect and big egos would talk about something with a lot of passion that they haven't seen, so I'm not going to do that, but I will say this about Cynthia Rivo, who tweeted something, and I'm actually going to read her tweet so that y'all can have perspective on it, because I think it's important that we know what we're talking about, so in 20 13, Cynthia Revo, tweeted with some guy named Joel Montague, who I don't know, and I'm not going to look him up, but they had a back-and-forth exchange. And I think they were talking about music or something and blah, blah, blah. And so she says something to the effect of, um, you know, I suppose I'm going to read the actual tweet. No, it was January 26, 2013, when she was, because she's 32 next. So that was six years ago. She was 20-something, I suppose I should really make an attempt to record signal properly, XX. And then he says, add Cynthia Revo or attempt to sing to me daily, X. And then she says, Joel Montague, in parentheses, ghetto American accent. Baby, you know I gotcha, I'ma sing it to you, but I still gotta do what I gotta do, you feel me? And it's all these misspellings or whatever. And black people deservedly were like, hey chick, wait a minute, what are you doing? What is this? What What is this ghetto American accent? What, who are you? Yeah. So she got trolled recently for a tweet she made in her 20s. And listen, I'm all for canceling people who are destructive to black people. I am. I did. You know, I talk about Kanye. I think there's a line that we have to draw as, as it relates to how the world sees us and whether or not you're helpful or you're hurtful. But as I look at a 20-something-year-old, Cynthia Arrivo who grew up in a land that exp- where, where blackness was exported in the, f- in the form of rap music. I'm just going to say something. When Oprah got off the airplane in Africa, she was, she was greeted, what's up, my nigga? Now, I'm sure the people in Africa who were a part of her greeting party did not think that they were saying anything negative to Oprah. They were saying what they thought black people, how black people greeted one another in America because that's what was exported to them. I'm not making any excuses for Cynthia Revo, because she can learn and know for herself. But I want to say it was a, a tweet that I don't know the full context about it was a silly thing that she did and said, but six years ago, we're canceling a woman and not watching a movie for something that she has since apologized for, talked about in interviews. I don't care about her personally. I don't know her. I don't know her. She's an actress. She's an actress. But I want to say this. I'm bringing this up for a reason. When we talk about music, when we talk about art, when we talk about all of the things that we put out into the universe and all of this negative bull crap that goes on on social media, people are watching. And they are making assumptions and coming to conclusions about how black people relate to one another. We are feeding people what they're then coming back to us with. And I'm saying that we bear responsibility for the way in which people perceive black Americans. Can we do better? I think we can. More importantly, we need more art in the world to show more different ways in which black people show up in the world, whether it's Watchmen, Underground, uh, Scandal, or, or How to Get Away with Murder, or Grey's Anatomy, or all of the myriad movies that are coming out right now from Black Panther to you name it, Dolomite, that there are many different ways in which we are We are perceived because we are now more vigilant with our own images from Shonda Rhimes to Kenya Barris to Tyler Perry to Ava DuVernay. We are controlling our destiny to um, Issa Rae to, um, I mean, Donald Glover and Childish Gambino. We have to control the narrative and we have to control how we're seen and perceived. But more importantly, if we disagree with the how, Let's never disagree around the who. We are each other's keepers, and we are each other's brothers and sisters. And yeah, brothers and sisters may argue fuss, and fight, but at the end of the day, we all have a common goal. So let's act like it. That's how I feel about it. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Use the hashtag podcast at Karen Hunter hashtag podcast. And until next time.